Well, it is good to be with you this morning. It's good to see um, some new faces here this morning. We want to welcome you to Church at Loma. We're glad you've come uh, to worship the Lord with us today. Our passage of scripture today is going to uh, be, we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and take that out. If you have uh, one of the Bibles that we've provided, we're on page 48, so you can turn there and follow along when we get there. We've been in the midst of a series as we've been looking at God's faithfulness to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land. Now, we're not actually going to get them to the promised land today or in this series, but trust me, they finally get there. Um, But where we're going to come today is where they are finally um, out of Egypt and in a place where uh, they are free to follow God follow God. And you know, this morning I want us to begin uh, by looking back in our minds, going back in our minds to grade school, just just for a moment. Some of you that are in grade school, uh, you will feel right at home. Uh, I've got a couple slides I want to show you up on, up on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to see if you can spot the pattern of uh, the various shapes. So look here, and if you're a child, you're like, yeah, I see this in school, and I have to fill this out. So look at the, at the smiley faces up on the screen. Can you figure out the pattern? What is going to be the next two um, objects in this pattern? Can someone tell me what the next two objects are going to be? Next two? Yeah, go ahead. What's that? A white and then a black. Is she right? A white smiley face and then a black smiley face. Good job. Black, white, yeah. Okay, good. Next. Go to the next one. Can you check the pattern on this one? This one's a little more challenging. There are triangles now. Can someone tell me what the next two shapes are going to be? Okay, say that again. Okay. Good, so it's actually repeating now at the start. Good job. All right, look at the next one for the pattern. Now, for you musically inclined people, this is for you. I think those are, are those eighth notes? Okay, I, that's yeah. as good as I know. Okay, what, what's the double one? Is that the first ones are eighth notes? Sixteenth notes. All right, good. So eighth note, eighth note, sixteenth note, eight, eight. Okay, eighth notes together. Okay, great. So what's the next thing that comes next? More eighth notes. All right, good job. And then finally, the last pattern. Two hearts. Two hearts, sunshine, two sunshines, two hearts, two sunshines, two hearts. Very, very good. You guys are, are really good. You would pass the test this morning uh, in spotting the patterns. Now, I want us to see today that, uh, you know, we use that as a kind of a fun way to talk about patterns. But sometimes in our lives, uh, people fall into predictable patterns of behavior. There are, are certain things that we can see in other people's lives where they follow these specific patterns. And sometimes it's easier for us in, in life to identify the patterns in other people's lives. Like we can look at other people's lives and we can see uh, sometimes they have the habits or they have uh, these patterns that are healthy. And sometimes we see in our friends and loved ones that they have uh, patterns that, that may be unhealthy. And today, as we are going to take a look at the account of the crossing of the Red Sea, I want us to see that there are both healthy and unhealthy patterns of behavior uh, in the people described in this passage and how they relate 
to God. And so that's really what we're going to look at today is looking at patterns of life and help us hopefully to identify in our own lives maybe some of the maybe the patterns that we have developed or the behaviors that we've developed in our life some some of them may be healthy and some of them may be unhealthy uh, specifically as we uh, live in relationship to God. So let's begin by taking a look at Exodus chapter 14 beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp and in, front, in front of Pihrithoth, between Migol, Midgol, and the sea, in front of Baal Sephron, and they shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And all and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this, this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his armies. And they overtook them and camped by the sea at Pithiroth and baal Sephron. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, it is, because there is, no, is it because there is no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to do in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift out your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other it all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all the night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. 
And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and in the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the seas returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, though sometimes it is very hard for us to comprehend your miraculous hand, Father, I pray today, that we would see this text not as a fable or not as a tale, but we would see it as your true word, a true account of how you have saved your people. And Father, today, let us be aware that the same promise of salvation is there for us today, if we would yet but reach out our hands in faith to you and in the provisions that you provided through Christ. Father, I'm aware today that there are many that have come into this place in various positions in their life. Some are here today just barely making it because their lives are overwhelming. I pray today that your word would be a word of encouragement, would be a word of peace. Father, there are some today that walk into this place in active and open rebellion against you. So I pray today that your word would be a word of correction to them. Father, we're all here today in need of you to speak. So I pray in these next few moments that our hearts and minds would be receptive to whatever you want to say and that our lives would be completely changed because of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today in this amazing passage that we begin looking in chapter 14, I want us to see just a couple of patterns or or a few patterns. And the first pattern I want us to see is looking at the life of Pharaoh. As as we've watched his life uh, through this sermon series, I want us to look at his pattern of rebellion. And so as we've walked through, we've seen Pharaoh has has taken on this predictable pattern of behavior. And it's been this predictable pattern of rebellion. You see, he has allowed over and over and over again for the pride to well up in his heart and to blind him from seeing the reality of what was going on. His pride had welled up so many times over and over and over again that he never was able to give in to the demands of God. And we see that God has continually brought about destruction over and over and over again. And immediately when the destruction happens, we see Pharaoh beginning to back down 
And then something happens in his heart, whether Pharaoh hardens his own heart or God hardens Pharaoh's heart. He begins to, instead of, of completely backing down and giving in, he becomes more dis- determined to destroy God and to continue to ins- enslave the Israelite people. So here again, we see this pattern repeating. He looks out and he sees God's people wandering. He sees as though they, they didn't take the most direct path to the place where they were going. And so he feels and he assumes that the their God is throwing them into confusion and that he's not a powerful God. And so this pride again wells up in Pharaoh. But then he also realizes, he and the other officials realize that with the Egyptians leaving, that their whole economic system has been destroyed. And so he assembles his whole army and he's persistent to pursue after God's people. And it's amazing to me that God in his providence, God in his plan, knew that on this day, in this specific place, that God would have glory over Egypt and all the Pharaoh's armies. Even though Pharaoh had a plan, God is bigger in his plan. And you see, I think that this pattern is very similar to the pattern that we can see in suspense movies. Maybe you're a fan of suspense movies, but this is a pattern that I see in suspense movies. Usually, throughout the, the movie, you have an antagonist and a protagonist. And so the, the protagonist and the antagonist are going at, it, uh, going at it over and over and over again in the movie. And if eventually, near the end, we see the, the protagonist finally getting the upper hand over the antagonist. And it looks as though the antagonist has been defeated. He's usually coming to the, the end of his rope, and we see that the, the antagonist seems as though he is defeated. And then what eventually happens? Unbeknownst to everyone else, we see that the, the antagonist finally gets a second wind, and it seems as though he's going to come back, and he's going to get the protagonist, and it, it's going to be the end, and, and the antagonist is going to win. But finally we see, in the end... The, the protagonist finally wins, and the antagonist is defeated once and for all. Isn't that a pattern that you can see in movies? Okay, good. I, di- I didn't want to bring up any good examples. I couldn't think of any, but they're out there. And any movie you see, that's typically something that happens. Like, the person's like seemingly lying there dead on the ground, and then all of a sudden they wake up again as the, the protagonist has turned its back, and finally we see... This attack that takes place, and then finally there's victory. And then there's what? And the, Yeah, any of the Rockies, you see this over and over and over again. Rocky. Hulk Hogan was uh, famous for this in wrestling. You know, remember when he was on the ground, he was completely defeated. Then all of a sudden, you'd see that hand go up, and he'd do this. And then he'd get up and like whoop the guy. Remember that? that? You see that over and over again. So that's the pattern of what's taking place in Pharaoh's heart. He is the, the, has been the antagonist throughout all of this. And he rises up again. And finally the God of the universe throws him down and defeats him. And I want us to see a, a couple of important lessons as we look at this pattern of rebellion. First of all, I want us to see and to understand today that freedom cannot truly be experienced by the slaves until their slave master is utterly destroyed. Like, so there can be no true freedom for the slave until the slave master is utterly destroyed because there will always be this sense that the slave master will continue to always come back and try to recapture what he thinks is his. And so we see this again. 
Pharaoh is this slave master, and he kind of continually comes back, and he has to be utterly destroyed in order for God's people to truly be free. The second thing I want us to see is that rebellion must always and be completely dealt with through destruction. Like rebellion against God will always, always, always end in destruction and judgment. In our day, the same is true. We see that Satan is the ruler, the kingdom of the power of the air. He is now at work in those that are disobedient. That's what the New Testament tells us. So Satan is at work in this world. He has enslaved people to do his bidding and to do his will. And he is leading a great rebellion against the God of the universe. Satan actually thinks he is going to win. And so he's involved in the world that we live in today. And we know that Christ has come to set us free. He has come to free us from the slavery, from the bondage of sin, that we no longer have to live following our, our sinful lusts and our sinful desires. But Christ has come to set us free so that we may freely worship God through Christ. But today we live in a world where Satan is not fully defeated. We live in a world where Satan is still active, and yet God's people are free. But there is coming a time where Satan will finally be defeated, and all those that have joined in his rebellion, all those that have chosen in their heart to rebel against the love and law of God, those will be judged, and they will be utterly destroyed. But those that have found faith in God through Christ will finally be free to worship God eternally and completely unhindered. So there is a pattern of rebellion. The second thing that we see in this passage is a pattern of fear. Look with me in verse 10. as We see now Pharaoh's pursuit of God's people, and we're going to see how the Israelites respond. They respond in fear. You see, when things were going well, it's simple for the people of God to be obedient to God and to Moses. We saw this last week. We saw that finally the people of God were obedient. God told them to do this, and they did. They simply just obeyed. God said, do this with the lamb, uh, take this and have the special meal, and they obeyed freely, and God was with them. But as soon as the slightest discomfort comes in their lives, they cry out to God, they cry out to Moses, and they want to go back into Egypt. Why, Moses? Why, God? Did you bring us all the way out here just for us to die? God was leading them. God was showing them. God was shepherding them. And they took their eyes off of God and began to focus in on their trials. And their disappointment leads them to a place of where they just wanted to die. Now we look at the, the pattern of the Israelites and we think to ourselves, now how in the world can you guys be like this? Like God is leading you by pillars of fire and smoke. God has been there. He's released you. He's given you all of this, this money and all of these resources and, and you saw all the 10 plagues. You saw God's power in all of those plagues. Now how can you guys turn your back on God so quickly? I want us to see today that we much are like the Israelites, so much. 
We're so fast to quickly judge and to look at the pattern of the Israelites' life. That's easy for us. It's easy for us to, to look through the Old Testament and see their pattern. The Israelite people have a very specific pattern that they continually repeat in the Old Testament over and over and over again. It's easy for us to see. It's easier for us to sit back and to judge their lives. But this morning, I want us to ask ourselves this question. How much disappointment or how much discomfort does it take in our own lives to make us unhappy with God? Like, how quick are we to turn our back on God when things become a little uncomfortable? Or how quick are we when discomfort comes in our lives to to stop believing in God? Like, how can we might say to ourselves, how can a good God allow this to happen in my life? Or how many disappointments or how much discomfort must it come until we get to the point of complaining to God? God, why did you make me this way? Why is life so hard? God, don't you know how hard it is to love my children when they're unlovable? God, why did you make it so hard? God, why is it so hard at work when I'm trying to do the right things, when I'm trying to be faithful in my service to you through this place? Why did you give me such an evil boss? Why did you give me evil coworkers? It's easy for us to take the discomforts and the challenges of life and to question God and to use those as an opportunity to stop believing that's a pattern that we see in the life of the israelites but that's also a pattern that is very indicative of many believers today that live in fear that don't live in faith for second corinthians chapter 5 verse verse 7 reminds us that as believers we are to walk by faith not by sight like is that indicative of your life as a believer can you honestly stand here today and say i am living my life so much so by faith i don't need to see what is going to come but i know god holds the future and i'm walking by faith i want us to see this morning that in the same heart in the heart that god has given us fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time like, it is impossible for fear and faith to live in the, in the heart of a believer. For one will devour the other. Faith always trusts in what God says, not what one sees or feels. You see, when fear creeps in, and fear does, Like, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know that there's this tendency for fear to creep in. Like, fear can come in in the issues of finance. Like, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You're afraid that your 401k is not going to be enough. Like, I was watching this commercial the other day, and it was was this investment company trying to show you to to move us to a place of fear of, of realizing how much you don't have saved up and how much your retirement isn't going to last. And so they wanted you to invest more. And commercials like that are based on fear. Some of us are fearful about our future. Some of us are so afraid of what may or may not happen. 
Or maybe some of us are so afraid with issues regarding our family. Maybe you're, you're so afraid of being, not being married. Like you know that God wants you to be married because you, you realize that he hasn't given you the gift of singleness. Or maybe you're afraid that he has given you the gift of singleness. And you are so f- fearful about not having a spouse that you live in fear. Or maybe you're so afraid for your children. You, you see the world that they're living in and you know there's so many challenges out there that you're so fearful about them that you don't even allow them to experience life. But I want us to see here in verse 13 that when fear begins to creep in, God gives Moses the cure. Like, here's the cure. Like, if you ever are fearful in the life, come to chapter 14, verse 13 of Exodus and remind yourself of this cure that God has given us. Let's look here in verse 13. He says, first of all, and Moses said to the people, fear not. So fear in our hearts, when it comes, it begins to evoke a response. It usually invokes two responses. One is it energizes us to flee, or it leads us to be paralyzed. Those are the two issues of fear. When fear creeps in, we either have this this flight response where we just want to get away as, as soon as possible, or we're so frightened that we just can't even move. Like, have you ever been driving down the road in the middle of the night with your lights on? It's kind of a deserted road, and you see a deer that just kind of comes out in the middle of the road. What does the deer normally do? Like, it just stops. Like, it sees these lights coming towards it. It must know that it's like certain death. He may think it's like a UFO or something like that. But the deer normally stops, and he's paralyzed by fear, and then eventually it becomes a million pieces all over your car. That's challenging. That's a beautiful picture, too. So fear is either going to cause us to flee or it's going to cause us to be paralyzed. But we see here Moses is telling God's people to fear not. Realize that those are options, but those are not the options that God wants us to live. We need to take our eyes off the circumstances and refocus back on what is true. Focus back in on God himself because he is true. So take your eyes off the circumstances, refocus in on the truth. Then he tells us to fear not, but then he says, stand firm. Instead of fleeing, instead of running, remain, stand firm. Now, standing firm is very different than paralysis. Paralysis, I can't move. Standing firm is I will not be moved or I won't move. I'm reminded of uh, Roman soldiers that as they were getting ready for battle, what they would do on their, their sandals, they would drive spikes into their, their feet, not into their feet, but into the soles of their shoes. So what they could do as the onslaught of the enemy is coming is they could take their feet, they could plant it in the ground, and they would not be moved. That's the idea of what God is encouraging his people to do. Stand firm. Do not be shaken. Do not be moved. But trust in me. And we're going to see that we can trust in God because he is the one that's fighting our battles. So stand firm. Don't be moved. Then we see here it says, See the salvation for the Lord will fight for you. So as we're standing firm, as we're choosing not to be moved, it tells us that we're supposed to wait and we're supposed to watch. 
Wait for the Lord to act, for the Lord is acting on our behalf for his own glory. That is what God is in the process of doing over and over and over again. God cares so much so about his great name and how he responds to our life and how other people look into our lives who are supposed to be testimonies of God. When other people look into our lives, we are magnifiers of the glory of God. And so when people look at our lives, they see how God is faithful to us. So what we need to do is we need to wait and then watch for what God's going to do. Be with our eyes open to see how the glory of God is going to be made manifest in our lives. And here's the beauty of the way God glorifies himself. As we see the salvation of the Lord, it comes in his way and in his timing. Like you can't stand firm and say, well, God, you've got to step in this way. You've got to save the day this way. No, you stand firm and you say, God, I'm going to wait and watch to see what you do so that I'll know that it's your hand doing it, not my hand doing it. And so that I can praise your wonderful name when it happens. So we walk by faith. And we walk when the way is made. And we continually walk trusting. Now there has been a time of, in, in our lives, one of the, the patterns of fear that Sarah and I have experienced over and over and over again is this pattern of fear that deals with, with finances. Now Sarah and I have never been um, people that are, are rich financially, but the Lord has always provided when we first got married, uh, we, we felt that the Lord was leading us to, to pack up everything, to leave our home, the, the home that I'd lived in my whole life, the, the, all my friends, all of my support system. The Lord said, I need you to go to seminary. I want you to go to seminary so that you can be trained how to be a pastor. And so I knew that's the path that the Lord wanted us to go, but I was also very afraid because I was losing my friends. I was losing my support system. I was losing the financial security because I knew that if things went wrong in Michigan, I could always go to my aunt and uncle. I could always go to my mom. I could always go to different people and say, can you help us? And so God moved us to seminary. And I can remember times were tough. We went there. We didn't have jobs. We didn't know what was going on. But the Lord provided over and over and over again. And I can remember there were times. I'm the one in our our marriage that that does finances. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Because if if I want to, to... to be challenged the most, you give me the checkbook. And if I'm doing the checkbook and I realize that we're going to be in the red at the end of the month, I almost can't sleep, I almost can't eat, I almost can't function. And that was our pattern early on in our marriage. There were months where I knew as I was doing the finances, following the spreadsheet, the Excel spreadsheet, there was more money going out than there was money coming in. And I can remember in those moments, there were times where I'm like, I felt like the Egyptians. God, you called us all the way out to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary, away from everyone else, and now you've just left us here just to die? Like, God, how could you be a good God? And I remember in those moments of crying out to God that his love and his grace would come, and he would ask the simple question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I can remember there are moments in my, my seminary time, there were many of these moments. There were times in which I'd almost have to fall on my face at my desk and just confess my sin to the Lord and reignite and, and reestablish my trust in him. And I would say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't know how we're going to pay for all of these bills. I don't know, but I trust you. And you know what would happen? 
Like, I kid you not, you probably heard these stories over and over and over again, but I kid you not, there have been numerous times where I would go to the mailbox in the seminary, they had all these big, I don't know, big area of everyone had their own mailbox, and so you got your papers back through these mailboxes, and you got your mail through these mailboxes, and I can remember numerous times going to those boxes, opening up, and in the mail would be a check. Like, not millions of dollars, but it would be enough at the end of every single month to make sure all the bills were paid. Like, you may think that's like a pipe dream. You may think that that stuff never happens. It happens. I can testify. It happens. The Lord has provided over and over and over and over and over again. And so now we live in a place where that's less of a fear. Like, we're still not millionaires, but I know the Lord is faithful, and the Lord still provides. There are times in our life, even today, that the Lord just provides in ways we don't even see. Someone may come up to us and say, uh, hey, the Lord has just laid this. This this actually happened to us. Not too long ago, a, a, a woman came up to us, and she said, the Lord has laid on our hearts, laid on my heart that I need to give you money. And she gave us a check, like for cash money, Like, she just did it out of the blue, and I'm like, Lord, you're so great, and the Lord just cares for us, so the Lord cares. And so don't take away from this that if you need money, you go to the Lord, and he provides. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is living a life of faith, the Lord always provides. Whatever it is that Satan can use to get you to fear, trust in the Lord, and he will always be faithful. Now, I want us to look now at the pattern of faithfulness. Look at the pattern of faithfulness beginning in verse 17. This is the pattern of faithfulness of God. God has been continually in this process of freeing his people, and he's been in the process of defeating Pharaoh. And we see over and over again that he's going to defeat Pharaoh for his own glory. God is always faithful to display his glory, and he was going to do it in this time and in this way. And what he's doing is he's showing not only to the world, but he's also showing to his people that he is a faithful God, that he is worthy of all of our trust, that he's worthy of all of our lives. And I want us to see here in verses 19. Look in verse 19 and 20. Look at the position that God takes. From before, God says, I'm going to lead you in a pillar by fire and smoke and clouds and all this other stuff, so you'll know which way I'm going to go. And so he was leading them from before because what was fearful to the Israelite people was everything that was out there. They were afraid of the future. And so God was saying, I'm going to show you what's going on. You follow me, and I'll take you on the path. I will move you around the Philistines where they're warring, so you don't have to worry about them. Just follow me, follow me, follow me. And then we see in this position, in this place, what happens to the position of God. He moves from in front to he moves to behind. Why? Because the people at this point, the Israelites, were not afraid what was ahead They had begun to be fearful of what was behind. And so the Lord in his graciousness moves. And what he does is literally he becomes a light to God's people. He becomes a light to six million people. So it's almost as though, have you ever had a flashlight? where you, you just shine it in the darkness, and it gives light in one single direction. So it's almost as though God has moved behind like a flashlight to his people. So he says, trust, trust, trust. I'm going to show you the way. But what is behind that flashlight? Utter darkness. 
And the Pharaoh and his armies were covered in all this utter darkness. And so God is saying, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to be there for you. Then he instructs Moses to take his hand and wave it over the sea. And we see that God and his power drives back the seas with this strong wind from the left and to the right. There's a wall of water. The ground is dry. And God's people, all six million of them, like walk through this sea on dry ground. Now, that is a miraculous sight to behold. God did it. And once the very moment all of God's people land on the other side, safe, God tells Moses to stretch out his hand, and the waters close. But what has happened at this time as the waters close is the pride and the hot pursuit of the Egyptians come in and they try to follow, try to destroy God's people. And they're now in the water. And you can see the, this process of miracle being reversed. What begins to happen, what was dry ground, now begins to be wet. And all of these chariots, all these animals get stuck. And then the winds die down and the waters come in and they close in on top of Pharaoh and his army. And it's in this way and in this time, God is glorified. And the way God works is when he steps in, when he steps in to save the day, when his people are living by faith, when he steps in to save the day, there will be no doubt that he is the one that did it. For the closing of our time, I want us to look quickly at Exodus chapter 15, 1 through 18. And what I want us to see, this last pattern, is a pattern of praise. This is how Moses and the people of God respond on the other side of the sea when they realize that God has stepped in and God has saved the day. This is how they respond. The end of chapter 14 says this. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses. Then we see this song of Moses. And as I read through this today, as we close, I want you to be aware of the pattern of praise. Look for the ways in which they use words to praise God for who he is. Look at the ways that they remember God for what he's done. And remember and look and see how they acknowledge God for he is the one that has done it. So look for those things, praise, remembrance, and acknowledgement. Look with me. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and, he has chosen, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down in the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you've overthrown your adversaries. You sent out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the water piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. 
The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of the Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seized the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which you have have your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Praise is the most appropriate response when we see the work of God in our lives. For God is always working for his glory and our benefit. As we end today in our time together, what I want us to do just for a few moments I want you to take just a few moments to look at your own life. Look to see if there are patterns in your own life that are unhealthy. Patterns of, in your life that may be hard for you to see. So you may need to take a few moments today asking the Lord to reveal to you, to look in at your life and see if there are patterns of rebellion or see if there are patterns of fear. Maybe you, you, you come to a place in your life where you realize that your pattern, which is very unhealthy, is you only come to God when you're in need. Like when things are going well, things are, are, are just fine, you don't need the Lord until you come to a place of crisis. And then that's when you call on the name of the Lord. And you only want God to be a God that what he can do for you. Like, we want God to save us. We want God to heal us. We want God to fix this. If that's your pattern, like where you only come to God for for what he can do, and you never come to God for just who he is, maybe today that's a pattern that needs to change. Maybe you just need to come to the Lord and say, God, I just want you. You are enough. Maybe the pattern of your life has been a a pattern that is kind of flatlined, where you've just been kind of going through the motions. You've just been doing the Christian thing. You've been walking the Christian walk, but you've lost a sense of adventure. Like you've lost a sense of, of living on the edge of faith and fear, where you're there on the edge and you say, God, I don't know what my next step's going to be, but I trust you. Maybe you stopped living on the edge and you like retreated back to a place of comfort. Maybe today you need to just take that step of faith and say, God, put me in places where I have to trust you again. 
I've become too comfortable. I've, I've sat back on the couch way too long. And God put me on the forefront where I know that if you don't step in and save the day, I am doomed. God, let me live at that place. It's a glorious place to be. It's a hard place to be. 